Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Dawn of Mantis, but this time, a mini mantis. Mini. I have Joe to my left. What's going on, Joe? I'm just enjoying myself sitting inside Redbeard Sound Studios that tonight is literally oozing with sex appeal. It is. Uh, we, we are now, and Sam's right in front of me. Sam, how's it going, sir? It's going good. Sam has decided to, he changed things around in the studio, and right before we started recording, he kind of did the... Lights to some kind of podcast special lighting mode slash love making load uh, load mode. <laughs> Freudian slip. Y'all, you're gonna have to cut that. Uh, well, you can leave it. I don't care. But anyway, it's awesome. It's a it's a cool feeling here. I, I like it. I, I'd like to keep it if you guys if you guys agree. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know why I've never dimmed the lights down a little bit. You know, that's really cool. It looks great. Ivan immediately said, "Wow, like podcast lighting and and love making lighting are are identical." It turns out they are. They are. Well, yeah. this is brighter probably, right? Well, yeah. I mean, off is sometimes <laughs> the best. <laughs> Depends on the situation for lovemaking. I don't want you to see me. <laughs> I'm ashamed of my body. I want you to feel me, but not see me. <laughs> so anyway, I love it. It's awesome. What do we have today? Today, we are talking about the case of the green children. Hmm. Whoa. Yeah. The green children. Yeah. Uh, supposedly two little green kids showed up one day. Kind of like Casper Hauser, except for they were green. Hmm. Oh, wow. In that vein. All I can think of is like, or their names like Sprout and, <laughs> oh. you know, I don't know. I mean, Jolly Green Giant only had one kid. Oh, yeah. He's got a, yeah, he had a kid that was later in the marketing. Yeah. And it was like a little green was, giant, was, right? Yeah, his name was Sprout. A sprout, that's right. Yeah. Wow. That's, so I couldn't that's think amazing. of another one. What if they were? these were a couple of illegitimate, like he was just spreading his seed all throughout the Spreading forest. his seed? Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of little green beans everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. In our, in our plant-based episode today. Put a bag on it, Jolly Green Giant. Yeah, got these come on. Green kids everywhere popping up. Come on. <laughs> So the green children, you say? The green children. Shall we begin? Yeah. We shall. So this is supposedly a historical account from two writers who lived in the late 12th and early 13th centuries who wrote of the uh, tale roughly 30 years apart. Now, these two guys were William of Newburgh and Ralph of Cogshall. Okay. It took place in the village of Woolpit in Suffolk near the end of the 12th century. Not Whippets? No. <laughs> No, sorry. Whippets. <laughs> now, in Old English, the town is called Wolfpit and was literally named after the large pits the villagers built around their settlement to trap giant wolves who had the habit of sneaking in and trying to eat them. That's amazing. It was around harvest time in the year 1150, and the villagers were checking the pits when they discovered something less dangerous but far more mysterious than they expected. Green kids? Yes. Wow. Two young little green kids, a boy and a girl. Now, uh, they were very strange, obviously, because they were green, but they were also speaking a language that the villagers did not recognize. Uh, they kind of just mumbled to each other in what they described as kind of gibberish. Okay. 
They were also dressed in clothing unfamiliar, unfamiliar, that is, to the locals and were acting very strange and nervous. But then obviously the strangest thing of all about these kids were they were freaking green. Yeah, yeah. A villager who lived not far from where the kids were discovered, Sir Richard de Calne, took the children and attempted to feed them. However, they refused to eat food for several days. Desperate to find something they'd eat, Richard began presenting them with every type of food that he could get his hands on. One of these foods were broad beans, and when the kids spotted the large green pods, they lit up and ate the green beans ferociously. Okay. This led Richard to discovering the children would only eat foods that were green in color. Okay, which which obviously you're going to say that attributed to their green skin. Yeah, but what did though, like logically, scientifically? Well, so there was a kid one time that his mom took him to the doctor because his skin had a pinkish hue. And the doctor, this is a true story. It's not a joke. What had he even eaten? Well, all he would drink would was like V8 Splash. Oh, really? Yeah. And the doctor's like, well, you know, you've heard you are what you eat. That's basically what happened to this kid. That put that pigment into his skin. No way. So I think, unless that story's BS, I think that you are what you eat. I think that that is probably what happened. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the story about the guy that, you ever heard of colloidal silver water? No. Uh, my wife is into all this stuff, so I've heard of it, but it's supposedly in small doses good for you, mm-hmm. and I forget how you make it. But anyway, this guy was drinking like ungodly amounts of it, and he literally turned blue. Okay. Um, you can look it up on YouTube, uh, people listening. Just look up colloidal silver water guy or blue guy. Okay. And I mean, he is like, not just kind of like if in the right lighting. No, this dude is like Smurf ass blue. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think later on he quit, had like stopped drinking it so much and got his normal skin tone back. Okay. It is weird, I guess, that like if you can eat a ton of a certain thing. I I just imagine that guy going out to like he's a single guy going out to the club and he's blue and he's just trying to pick up girls. I mean, what do you say? It's like, hey, uh, I'm going to address the elephant in the room here. You might notice that I am blue. I am blue. That's my least. Why would you do that? I told you in confidence my least favorite song that's ever existed. (laughs) Ever. I would punch a radio. If if a radio was playing that and I could not find the power switch or unplug it somehow, I would probably punch it until it would stop. Yep. Everyone has that one song. uh, It's it's gut-wrenching. Anyway, sorry if I'm crapping on someone's favorite song. Um, anyway, but yeah, let's continue on. <laughs> I got nothing on the bit where the guy's picking, the blue guy's trying to pick up girls. Okay, there. okay. Well, as the story goes, Richard kept and cared for the children for several years, slowly but surely teaching them to speak English and eat a variety of normal foods. Okay. As they progressed, two very strange things happened. One, after a lengthy time of eating regular food, the children lost their green complexion. Secondly, as they learned to uh, comprehend and speak the English language, they were finally able to communicate where they had come from. And according to Richard de Calne, the female child and slightly older of them said to him, We are inhabitants of the land of St. Martin, who is regarded with peculiar veneration in the country which gave us birth. Wow. She continues, We are ignorant of how we arrived here. We only remember this. That on a certain day, when we were feeding our father's flocks in the fields, we heard a great sound, such as we are now accustomed to hear at St. Edmund's when the bells are chiming. And whilst listening to the sound in admiration, we became 
on a sudden, as it were, entranced and found ourselves among you in the fields where you were reaping. Like transported in some some way. Quantum leaped. Yeah. Leapt. Yeah, because I was totally going for feral children oh. raised by themselves or whatever. Mm-mm. Yeah, kind of like Casper. Yeah. Yeah. But no, they said they were just like transported from a different world into ours. Did oh. they have a nut allergy by chance? <laughs> Did they eat a walnut? <laughs> Just want to know. Don't ever eat a I walnut. I think Joe would have brought that up. Yes. A few times. Six times. <laughs> He'll never live it down. <laughs> she continued, the sun does not rise upon our countrymen. Our land is little cheered by its beams. We are contented with that twilight, which among you precedes the sunrise or follows the sunset. Moreover, a certain luminous country is seen not far distant from ours and divided from it by a very considerable river. So they live in like this weird kind of not quite bright, not quite dark land of twilight. Hmm. Hmm. And she continued, we found psilocybin in our environment (laughs) and we ate mass quantities of it. Yes. And then we woke up here. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Well, one time I consumed mass quantities of Bud Light and I woke up naked in the back of a chicken truck. I was transported as well. All right. St. Martin's Land, this mythical land of never-ending twilight where everything was colored green, was quite the tale. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Remember, the story comes from two different accounts from two different writers, and although the overall stories are the same, there are details within the two that don't match. For instance, William claims the children told of herding their father's sheep when they heard a strange noise, lost consciousness, and woke up in the wolf pit. But Ralph's account claims that the children followed the sheep into a large cavern and became lost until the sound of ringing bells led them out. However, when they emerged, they were no longer in St. Martin's land, but in the wolf pit. William of Newburgh's version of the story is widely accepted as the official version, but Ralph of Cogshall actually never uh, actually lived near wolf pit and wrote his story from first-hand reviews from this Richard DeCalm guy himself, from the guy that, like, took the kids in. Oh, okay. He had okay. a first account. Okay. So I'd probably go with his. Yeah, just just closer to the original source. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. Well, not too long after the young girl revealed this fantastic story, her brother became frail and sickly. Richard had the siblings baptized, and it was shortly after that that the boy passed away from an unknown illness. After this, the girl, who became known as Agnes, served in Richard's house for several years until she married a royal official named Richard Barr, who was from King's Lynn, a town roughly 40 miles from Woolpit. There's not much information on her life after her marriage, except that she and Richard Barr had at least one child together. However, there isn't yet another account that claims Agnes became quite wild and unpredictable in her adult years, specifically calling her a, quote, rather loose and wanton woman in her conduct. Hey! That's someone's mother. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, kind of a rocky start, and sounds like she, you know, a rocky later years, too. I mean, mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you're a little kid herding sheep, and you wake up in another land? Yeah. I'm sure they got in arguments, and she would bring up that, and he's like, okay! (laughs) Bring up the sheep again. Throw that How mouth. long are you going to tell me that <laughs> sheep story? <laughs> well, <clears throat> this leaves us with many questions, obviously. Uh, where did this story come from, and is there any truth to it? There are several schools of thought on this, but we'll just go over the main ones. Okay. Uh, 
First off, many theorize that the tale is purely folklore that has somehow accidentally been mixed with reality over the centuries. Medieval historian Gerard of Wales told of a similar story in which a boy had escaped his master and found two pygmies who led him through an underground tunnel into another world that appeared much as our own but existed in permanent twilight. Sounds familiar. Wow. Another theory connects the story to the traditional English children's tale of the babes in the woods. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, it seems like I have. It's like a staple, I guess, in not here, but like in Britain, I guess. In this story, two children are given to their uncle after their parents' death, and the greedy uncle hands them over to ruffians to be killed so that he can get their inheritance. It kind of makes me think of like where the wild things are. Yeah. Like that yeah. book. Yeah, like going into the mystical uh-huh. world and all the beasts and all that stuff. Really does. And, and a little bit of Hansel and Gretel, that last part. Ooh, yeah. Hansel and Gretel. I wonder if where the wild things are kind of borrowed from that, you Possibly. know, yeah, like Very similar, yeah, folklore, yeah. Well, uh, he gives them to ruffians, according to, you know, the story, and uh, to be killed. He wants their inheritance, but they are not murdered, however, but are left to wander in the woods alone until they die. However, other versions have the children being discovered after they fell into the wolf pit. Oh, I just uh, I just looked up Babes in the Woods and the Wikipedia. Um, one of the adaptations says uh, Walt Disney reworked this tale for their 1932 short animated film Babes in the Woods, incorporating some material from Hansel and Gretel. Oh, that's crazy! Funny, <laughs> you guys really hit right on it there. Yeah. Yeah, Sam and I could really blow a case open. <laughs> and adding a village of friendly elves and a happy ending. Yeah. Now now we're in the Snow White territory. There we go. It's all related. Elves, dwarves. It's all related. It is. Yeah. It's all one big universe. That's, that's right. It's all tied together. And then you think you say the twilight, the twilight area, then maybe somehow Serling got that in the twilight zone where things are just kind of weird, you know? Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> After these messages, we'll be right back. Quiet your mind. So back to the uh, green, the green kids. Yeah. Thing. Another explanation, which happens to be my favorite, mm-hmm. is that the children were aliens. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> aliens. In 1996, astronomer Duncan Lunan published an article in the magazine Analog, in which he hypothesized that the children were accidentally transported to whoop it from their home planet as the result of a, quote, matter transmitter malfunction. He went on to posit that the children's home planet may be trapped in a synchronous orbit around the sun, its sun, not ours, causing a narrow twilight zone between a fiercely hot surface and a frozen dark side. Did he really go twilight zone? That's what he said. Wow. <laughs> he then explained the children's green coloration as a side effect of consuming the genetically modified alien plants eaten by the planet's inhabitants. Or plants on Earth that are green. <laughs> we have those. Why did he In have... fact, most. Yeah, I would say so. Most plants are green. Yep. Anyway. But believe it or not, nearly 400 years before Lunan tied in the children's story with aliens, Robert Burton suggested in his 1621 book, The Anatomy of Melancholy, which I love that title, that the children, uh, the green children, quote unquote, fell from heaven. Oh, okay. That's the anatomy of melancholy. Yeah. There are more realistic theories of where the children originated from, though. I would hope so. Many believe they were Flemish. Really? Yeah. Uh, Flemish is a Germanic ethnic group located in modern-day Belgium. Okay. 
Uh, thousands of Flemish immigrants were fleeing to England in the 12th century, and many of them were being persecuted by Henry, King Henry II. The theory suggests that the parents' children died, possibly, uh, I'm sorry, the children's parents had died. Okay. Possibly in the Battle of Fornham in 1173, after which they fled to Fornham St. Martin before wandering into Woolpit, which is only 12 miles away. So hmm. That all seems really plot Very Like, plot. you know, um, um, refugee of war. Don't want to live like a refugee. That's their theme song. Great That's song. what they're singing. Uh, interestingly, uh, Bury St. Edmunds was nearby where the children were found, and the town's church bell could be heard from uh, the uh, surrounding area. Remember, they said a church bell was chiming. Oh, yeah. yeah. See? Then they walked towards it, fell in the wolf pit. Yeah. The rest is history. That makes perfect sense. The rest is literally history. Could this be the bell the children spoke of that led them out of the cavern, which I already said, but I read it too? More than likely. (laughs) (laughs) Their unfamiliar clothes and language would surely have seemed bizarre to the villagers because they were Flemish, right? These guys try. As for their color, there actually is something called green sickness or chlorosis, but today we call it hypochromic anemia. Wow. It can cause the skin to take on a greenish hue. It is usually caused by either an inherited blood disorder or simple iron deficiency and also has symptoms such as lack of energy, shortness of breath, and loss of appetite, which may explain why the children refuse to eat for the first few days. Wow, yeah, it's all coming together. The hypochromic anemia theory would also explain why the children's color returned to normal after a few weeks of eating a variety of healthy foods. Mm -hmm. Historian Derek Brewer summed it up as follows. The likely core of the matter is that these were very small children herding or following flocks straight from their forest village, spoke little, and did not know their home address. They were probably suffering from chlorosis, a deficiency disease which gives the skin a greenish tint, hence the term green sickness, which a, with a better diet uh, disappears. Yeah, that all very plausible. But, uh-oh, <laughs> as plausible as it seems. That's weird because that's what I actually put. In, oh, we're cool. on the same wavelength. Cool. There is yet another theory to the story's origin. This one claims the tale is pure fiction and was a fictional tale about racial differences. Jeffrey Jerome Cohen believed the green children represented England's past and the conquest of the indigenous Britons by the Anglo-Saxons, followed by the Norman invasion. He also believed the green children represented a dual intrusion into William's unified version of England. William of Newburgh believed England to be mostly unified, thus reluctantly included the story of the green children in his account. However, Geoffrey of Monmouth's book, A History of the Kings of Britain, offers accounts of previous kings and kingdoms of various ethnic identities. They are a reminder of the ethnic and cultural differences between Normans and Anglo-Saxons, given the children's claim to have come from St. Martin's Land. The children also embody the earlier inhabitants of the British Isles, the Welsh and Irish and Scots. Mm-hmm. It's also significant that while one child lives, the boy dies, symbolizing an adjacent world that cannot be annexed and otherness that will perish to endure. Hmm. Wow. In closing, before we end, it must be noted that there was another account of green children showing up out of nowhere. This time it was in the Spanish village of Banos. This is B-A-N-J-O. Is it banjo? banjo. We don't need no stinking banjos. <laughs> so, no, that's okay. Is it banjos? Banjos? I'm going to say, it's got a J and I'm going to say banjos. Uh, well, the J is not a see, J in Spanish. It's, it's like an a, I. See, so banjos. Banjos. I'm going to say banjos. Author John Macklin wrote of the account in his 1965 book, Strange Destinies. 
but it doesn't take long to see the blaring similarities to the Green Children tale from the Woolpit. For one, the man who finds them's name is Ricardo de Calno. Oh. Remember the original guy was Richard de Calno. Yeah. <laughs> this is Ricardo de Calno. Rip off. It's too damn close. Uh, apart from the other aspects of the story being uh, nearly dead on, it doesn't help that there's no record that I could find of a village named Banos. So this tale is basically cast off as pure fiction. Okay. I lean towards that it really did happen. I mean, especially herding, nomadic family kind of thing. I mean, two kids getting, you know, and then you get in the wild and and there's not enough diversity of food and you get the iron deficiency and the green skin. I kind of like that. But, I mean, I guess it could be the tale uh, about, you know, racism, basically, is what you said, or other tribes or whatever. I kind of feel like, I'm leaning with you that it could have actually happened. Mm-hmm. It's probably happened thousands of times before, but it just so happened that these kids had the, uh, what was it called? Hypochlor yeah. anemia or whatever. And so that's probably why it stuck because they had the green skin. Yeah. And, and I just think it's been retold so many times. I think maybe it could have just been a hue, like a light hue of green. Like, yeah, those kids are kind of green a little bit. Yeah. And now we tell it as the green kids. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, yeah, I I think it's totally plausible that it happened. You know what scares me about any tale like this is how quick... Think about people that look... People that have any type of social media. Mm -hmm. Think about how fast something gets distorted just in two weeks on social media. And then think about how something could get, you know... For sure. How the details could get distorted over 500 years. The big fish story, you know? You know, it just gets bigger every time you tell the story. Yeah, uh, it, it's that like type of thing. when the when our when our friend Jeff Elmer disappeared, just within a few days, it was so bananas. I was so pissed because you couldn't separate fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. There was a whole yeah. people were rampantly speculating on the internet, like, "Oh, I heard that there was this found and this and this," and I was a little bit closer to people actually involved and i was like that's all bullshit stop talking all of you stop talking until you know something but it's just so many people people i knew for a fact were casual acquaintances with him at best on there saying well i feel a hundred percent that he wouldn't have harmed himself or you know like there's no way he would have done this or that how do you know yeah you you didn't know i didn't even know him super well i mean we toured with him on the road for what five six years but you know apart from that uh, I'm sure there were many people who knew him better than me, but even I wouldn't have ventured to say like, there's no way he would have done this or that. I well, had feelings, but think about true crime. Think about some detective working on a case. I mean, every bit of that, they have to at least document and entertain for a little bit at least. Yeah. That's and true. that's got to, uh, if it's a huge case where several people are missing or have been murdered, I mean, that's imagine. And that's how you get a room full of boxes with case files mm-hmm. about that case or with, with files about that case because everything is uh, documented. And that's, yeah, that's what sucks. I'd hate to have that job because Nancy on the corner makes up this random thing because she's crazy and she pops pills all the time. <laughs> and now all of a sudden that's got to go in there. Oh, pill popping Nancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Has to call with every, I saw that guy yeah. two nights ago. Yeah. Her cigarette. <laughs> I like it. I like the character. It's very good. It's like Marge Simpson's yeah. sister. That's <laughs> immediately who I pictured. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they have to. There's only so much bandwidth there to throw at a case. And you're right. They have all these crazy. And like, especially high profile cases, almost every time you got 
40 people calling in and confessing. Sure. Which is bizarre. Oh, yeah, that's got to be tough. But uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I bet they're so fortunate, or they feel so fortunate they have, you know, the DNA and stuff now where they could cross-reference so they can get rid of some of that. Yeah. But then that's just more, you know, stuff they have to do. So I don't know. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's like when we go off the rails, it just gives Sam more and more to do. That's right. More editing. Yep. I drop a few F-bombs. We make a joke that don't land. Sam, edit that out, buddy. Yeah, we got to say, oh, that was, the Wokesters will get us on that one. We got to cut it. (laughs) And it wasn't even that bad. It's like someone might interpret it as bad. So sorry, Sam. Sorry, buddy. But having said that, I think that's going to wrap up this mini mantis. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. 